So today we are continuing our study on the kingdom. Um, if, if you guys have your Bibles, open it up to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8, verse 4. But before we get there, I want to give you guys a little introduction to what we have been doing, what we covered last time. Um, if you haven't gotten your notes, there are notes available in the back. I encourage you to follow along with that. But today we're going to be talking about two kings, two kings. Remember last time, Israel was supposed to be God's way to partner with humans to rule over the earth, just as God had desired since the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. But in Judges, we saw that the Israelites failed to partner with God. Remember, there was this downward spiral. Part of the problem was that the Israelites behaved as if there was no king over them and did what they saw was right in their own eyes. Similar to how Eve did what was right in her, in her own eyes when she partook from the fruit of the tree of knowledge. So by way of introduction, I want to quote what I quoted last time from Patrick Schreiner. Uh, I quoted this. This was towards the end of last time that we met. And just to, this will give us like, it will link the, the two sermons together. So in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Although Israel already had a divine king, they needed a leader who would embody the law of the Lord. Remember, there was supposed to be one who came from a woman, the seed of a woman, who would defeat the serpent, rescue them from their enemies, and lead the people in righteous living. The desire for a king was not wrong, for God was making them into a great nation. The problem was that they wanted a king like the other nations. So, in the passage that I told you guys to open up to, 1 Samuel uh, 8, you could also look up in the screen, you would read this passage, this, read about how the, the Israelites, they wanted another king. And let's read that. We're going to be reading from verse 8. It is a lengthy passage, uh, but I encourage you guys to read it. It's a story, and it's a wonderful story that uh, will give us insight to what the Israelites wanted, and it, it will show us that they wanted a king, but they wanted a, a different king, and they really wanted this different king. So let's read. Uh, we're going to find this new character named Samuel. He was the last judge, and he was also a prophet. So let us read First uh, Samuel chapter 8, verse 4. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king who lead us, such as all the other nations have. Just like the other nations. Remember, Israel was supposed to be holy. But here they want to be like the other nations. Verse 6. But when they said, give us a king, they Give us a king to lead us. This displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day. Forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them. But warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. 
Verse 10. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and and horses. And they will run in front of his chariots. Verse 12. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest. And still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, vineyards, and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys, he will take for his own use. Verse 17, he will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king. You have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. So Samuel just told them like all of these bad things that would happen if a king would come, a king like the other nations. And the people refused to listen and they still wanted this type of king. Then we will be like all the other nations. That's why they wanted a king to be like all the other nations. With a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all of that, the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. You may be seated. So we see that Samuel grows old. The leaders of Israel, of the families of Israel, came and wanted something other than what God had given them. God had given them a theocracy. Not a democracy, not a republic, but God had given them this government where God himself was king. God himself would bring victory. And yet, the Israelites wanted a king like the other nations. Samuel was like, oh yeah, you you want a king like the other nations? Well, if you want a king like the other nations, this is what will happen. He will take your children, he will take your flock, your servants, and you yourself will become slaves to this king. This is what John Chrysostom wrote on Samuel's kindness and truthfully warning the Israelites about a king like the other nations. So Samuel was warning the Israelites out of kindness. He wasn't trying to be mean. He was just speaking the truth. And observe the wisdom of the prophet, or rather, the loving kindness of God. For because he wanted to turn them from their desire, bringing together a number of difficult things, he asserted what would be true of their future king. As for instance, that he would make their wives grind at the mill, require the men to serve as shepherds and drivers of of mules. We see that this king was going to make the Israelites slaves. 
And God was communicating this. Why? Because he's loving. He wanted the people to know the consequences of their actions. God's warnings come from his loving kindness. If you have your notes, feel free to write loving kindness there. And sometimes we think, okay, why is God warning us? Is he just mean? Is he messed up? No. God warns his people because he loves his people. Out of his loving kindness, he tells the Israelites what would happen if they had a king like the other nations. They would, their wives would be, would be grinding at the mill. At the mills, they would serve as shepherds. They would be drivers of mules. And despite all of these warnings that God had given to the Israelites, the Israelites were still saying, we want a king. This king was not supposed to throw out the theocratic government. God was still supposed to be the main king. But unfortunately, by having a king like the other nations, this would kind of mar or eclipse the, the, visible, the invisible monarch, the unseen king, the head, God. God told the Israelites through Samuel that their requests could be granted. If they really wanted it, sure, I'll give it to them. While at the same time, while he's saying, yes, this is possible, he informed them of what would happen, of the evils that would result from the request for a king like the other nations. After prayer and debates, Samuel accepts the request of the Israelites. Why would God give the Israelites what they requested? He knew the bad things that would happen. Couldn't he just say no? This is what Augustine wrote on why God gave the, gave the Israelites a king according to their heart. So Augustine is an awesome guy from the 400s, awesome Christian. And he said this. To some, indeed, who lack patience, the Lord God in his wrath grants them what they ask. He gives them because of his wrath. We, re, we read what what and how the Israelites asked and received, but when their lust had been satisfied, their lack of patience was severely punished. And when they asked, he gave them a king, as it is written, according to their heart, not according to God's, but not according to his heart, not according to God's heart. He continues by saying this, these things are written, That no one may think well of himself if his prayer is heard. When he has asked impatiently for what it would be better for him not to receive, and that no one may be cast down and may despair of the divine mercy toward him if his prayer has not been heard. When he has perhaps asked for something which would bring him more bitter suffering if he received if he received it or would cause his downfall, if he were ruined by prosperity. In such circumstances, then, we know not what we should pray for, as we ought. Sometimes we may be excited and happy, maybe like the Israelites, oh, God heard my prayer, therefore God has given me this king. But sometimes we should be a little bit careful, because what if God in his 
judgment, justice, and his wrath. He gives us what we ask because we're impatient. Augustine states that God may grant people what they ask because they're impatient. With the Israelites, God granted them a king according to their hearts. If they were maybe patient, their first king could have been somebody with a heart who is after God's heart. And later we will talk about that king. But the point that Augustine is making here is that we should be careful with our requests. Sometimes we're impatient like these Israelites. We want what we think will help us. Just as the Israelites asked if they could get a king who could help them. Instead of acting impatient in our request, we should pray with humility and patience. We should, it's not to say that we're not supposed to pray, but just be patient. We should make requests. Yes, pray to our Heavenly Father. He loves it when we go to him and ask for things. But let's be patient and humble. God probably has a better plan than we could ever ask for. And yet, here we see sometimes when he does answer out of his wrath because of our impatience, things don't go that great. In the case of the Israelites... There is a king that comes along. This king, his name is Saul. He is formidable. He is an impressive human. He is the type of king that the Israelites wanted. He's tall, handsome, strong. A king like the nations around them. The rule of this king, it began successful. Israel begins to have victory over their enemies. But unfortunately, this king has some major red flags he is strong-headed. He doesn't hear the advice of other people. He does not wait for God or follow God's advice. Saul, he also struggles with deep, deep depression and is very jealous of the people's hero, David. Saul, as the king of God's people, was supposed to be the prime example of what a man of God looks like. But instead, time after time, Saul failed. If you could go with me to 1 Samuel 13, 1 Samuel 13, verse 13. And it says this. You could also look at it in the screen. It says this. This is Samuel talking to Saul. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him a ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. If the kings of Israel did not follow God and his way, of life. They would be removed from their place of authority. If Saul had kept the command that God had given him, Saul's kingdom would be established over Israel for all time, similar to how David's kingdom would be eternal. But Saul disobeyed because he was after his own heart. There was a king, however, who was after God's heart. His name is David. By way of introducing David, I want to start off with this quote. 
Uh, We will finish the rest of this quote later, but for now, let's just read the beginning part of this quote. And it says, And it is surprising that a person previously of good repute should afterwards fall. Saul, though good beyond all others, was afterwards overthrown by jealousy. David, a good man after the Lord's heart, dot, 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 and we'll finish later on. So here we see a picture. We see Saul. He, he has a good beginning. I mean, he has the appearance. He does like the, he has the great first impressions. He's tall. He's, he's strong. He has a lot of victories. But although he has a great start, he has a mighty downfall. He fell hard. David, on the other hand, he comes from humble beginnings. He was not tall or handsome or strong when he was selected to be God's chosen king. Instead, David was a young shepherd boy. Yet, when David became king, he knew that the Lord was going to prosper his kingdom. He knew that the Lord was with him. If you go to 2 Samuel 5.12, it, it tells you, going all the way to 2 Samuel now, he te- the Bible tells us that David knew that God had established his kingdom. 2 Samuel 5.12 tells us, Then David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people. The success that David had experienced came about because God had blessed him and his people. God would bless Israel and its king whenever they followed him. The relationship that David had with God is key to the kingdom theme. We see that uh, within that relationship, we find something that is fundamental, that is pivotal, that is crucial to this theme that we've been looking at concerning the kingdom. In fact, there's a specific promise that God made to David, which significantly contributes to the kingdom theme. Let's read this promise in 2 Samuel. I encourage you to go there with your Bible. 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, verse 8 to 16. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8 to 16. And it says this, Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from Tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people, Israel. This is God speaking to David. I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great. Like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people, Israel. And will plant them so that that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring 
to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is key. I will be his father. And he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him. As I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. We see here, we saw it before with Saul, the kings who rejected God lost power. But the kings like David, who are after God's heart, receive blessings. When King David presented his desire to build a temple for God, God promised David that one of his descendants would have a kingdom that he would establish. God made an eternal covenant, an eternal promise with David and his family, which established that God would always have a king on the throne of David. And something interesting about the relationship of this specific one that would come through David is that this specific one would be like a son to God. And God would be this be this, the, the, the king's father. In other words, God would be the king's father and the king would be his son. There's an intimate relationship between this promised one that God had promised to David. There's an intimate relationship between this promised one and God. The royal dynasty that comes from David would rule the kingdom of God. Through the Messiah, this promised one is the Messiah, is the one who they would wait for, the Israelites would wait for, for the days to come, the years to come, the centuries to come. Patrick Schreiner wrote on this promise, and he said this, Like Adam and Abraham, David turns out to be a central figure throughout the rest of the story. David rules faithfully over the nation and establishes the people in their home by defeating their enemies. The king wields the power for the good and safety of his people. David also brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem and desires to build a home for the Lord. But the prophet Nathan tells David that his son will build the Lord's house. However, The Lord is so pleased with David that he establishes a covenant with him and promises to make David's name great, provide a place for the people of Israel where God would plant them so they will be secure, give them rest from their enemies, and establish David's destiny, dynasty forever. The promises to Abraham Remember the promises of 
God blessing Abraham. Um, they, they echoed through the first promises to David. So there's, there's a lot of similarities between them. But the fourth is new. David's dynasty will last forever. There's a new emphasis on this. The kingdom David establishes foreshadows the kingdom waiting to be inaugurated in the New Testament. We'll get in the New Testament probably in a month or so. Um, but just know that this promise is key. It's important to this kingdom idea that Jesus will talk about later on. God is, as we see with David, in the promise-making business. Years upon years had passed since Abraham, had passed since Moses, and God still wanted to make promises. He still wanted to partner with the Israelites, still wanted to partner with humans altogether. As he made promises to Abraham, God is making promises to David. Here is a chart from Shriner that could help us see the similarities between Abraham's promise and David's promise. Um, and you could see there's a, there's a sense of power concerning the kingdom, a great name. People see children. The people will, in David's promise, they would have rest from enemies, and the land would also have rest from enemies. So as we close, as we end, um, let us end with some quotes. The first comes from the quote that we began earlier, Tertullian. He was an early, early Christian writer, maybe late hundreds, early 200s. So very early, a couple generations after the apostles. And this is what he said, Tertullian. He said, and, it, and is it surprising that a person previously of good repute should afterwards fall? Saul, though good beyond all others, was afterwards overthrown by jealousy. David, a good man, after Lord, the Lord's heart. And that's what we read last time. But let's now finish this uh, quote um, by going to the next slide. And there you could see that, okay, David was after God's heart, but was afterwards guilty of murder, was guilty of adultery. Sometimes we get to a point where we forget that both kings, David and Saul, we're messed up. Yes, there's a better image within the Bible for, for David. Yes, uh, uh, this image within the Bible depicts David as a clean, pure, godly man. But he messed up big time. He really messed up. He was a murderer and an adulterer. David should be celebrated for the good that he did. But... We should recognize that he was also evil, messed up. Clement does a great job of affirming the good stuff of David while recognizing the sinful human stuff of David. Look at what he said. What shall we say of the celebrated David to whom God said, I have found a man after my own heart, David, the son of Jesse, in eternal mercy, I have anointed him. So here is a good man. David looks clean. He's the one who's going after God's heart. But even he says to God in one of the Psalms, Have mercy on me, O God. 
according to your great mercy and according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my iniquity, wash me yet more from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I knew my iniquity, and my sin is always before me. David, a man after God's heart, says as well that his sin is always before him. He needed forgiveness. He asked for forgiveness because he was so sinful. He needed God's mercy. There is a king, however, who does check off the goodness of David. Actually, he surpasses David's goodness. And this king doesn't carry the blemishes of David, and therefore he doesn't need the mercy of God. Instead, he gives the mercy of God. This king is perfect. His name is Jesus. As we close, as we finish, I, I want you guys to take some time uh, I'm going to read uh, what this church uh, father said, uh, Afrat. He was a Christian, early Christian. He lived in Syrian in the east. And he was probably, uh, I believe, in the 300s, 400s. And, and I think he, he compares David and Jesus. And I think this comparison could benefit us today. So uh, if you want to close your eyes or if you just want to, Relax and listen intently. That, that's great. But just pay attention to the words and see the parallels, the, the similarities between David and Jesus and how Jesus is a better king. He says this. David was persecuted as Jesus was persecuted. David was anointed by Samuel to be king instead of Saul who had sinned. And Jesus was anointed by John to be high priest instead of the priests, the ministers of the law. David was persecuted after his anointing. And Jesus was persecuted after his anointing. David reigned first over one tribe only and afterwards over all Israel. And Jesus reigned from the beginning over the few who believed on him. And in the end, he will reign over all the world. David was the heart of God. And Jesus was the son of God. David received the kingdom of Saul, his persecutor. And Jesus received the kingdom of Israel, his persecutor. David wept with dirges over Saul, his enemy, when he died. And Jesus wept over Jerusalem, his persecutor, which was to be laid waste. David handed over the kingdom to Solomon and was gathered to his people. And Jesus handed over the keys to Simon, to the church, and ascended and returned to him who sent to him. 
for David's sake. Sins were forgiven to his posterity. It was for his good that sins were forgiven. And for Jesus' sake, sins are forgiven to the nations. King King David, yes, was better than Saul, but still needed forgiveness. King Jesus is better than David, is perfect, doesn't need forgiveness. Instead, he he gives us forgiveness. As the worship team gets ready, I encourage you guys to come to Jesus, the Son of God, the one who has that type of relationship that we read in the promise, the one who God will be the Father over and Jesus will be the Son under. He is also Jesus Christ. In addition to being the Son of God, he is also known as the Son of David the eternal and real king. Jesus is the better David. Right there where you're at, if you want to pray with me as we get ready for worship. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for showing us this, this view of the kingdom, of different kings and the story of how your Bible, your story, God, how, how it develops, Lord. We see this idea of the kingdom continuing. We're seeing, Lord, how the Israelites wanted a different king and they got a bad king. And sometimes we're like them and we want to to get whatever we're praying for. And we may be impatient, but teach us to be patient. Teach us to be humble. Sometimes, Lord, uh, we want to be like the other nations, like Israel. We want to be like the other people. But you have called us to represent you, to be holy, not common. We are to bring peace and rule, your rule over this earth. Show the love that only you can show. God, we're thankful for the life of David, that he was somebody after your heart. But let us recognize that he was also somebody who was messed up and perfect. And God, let us see the promise that you made with him and how it relates to Jesus. Jesus, you are king. You are better than any king, any ruler on this earth. You bring peace, you give forgiveness, you give mercy. And Lord, we are all in need of mercy. Even the best of us, like David, he needed mercy. And we need that too. You are worthy, Jesus, of all of our worship. You are king. And we praise you today. We worship you today as our king. The one who is seated on the throne of David. The one who is the son of David. And the one who is the son of God. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen.